Thank you. It's so good to be here. This is not my first time coming out here. Um, been out here several times with our uh, Spanish brethren for camps and, and revivals, but uh, I think it goes back even further than that. I was telling Brother Dodd that when I was eight or nine years old, my father used to bring us out here to, to pick uh, onions. And I'm so glad they mechanized that and, and stopped torturing people with that kind of a labor. Um, and they're harvested in the summer, of course. And those lines of onions just go on for miles. They've gone to eternity. But I remember my dad was very smart. He knew that we'd get discouraged when we saw the, the, the how long the, these, uh, the lines were. And so he would, uh, take his, his jacket and, and he'd say, okay, he'd stand way away, barely see him. He said, when you get to here, we have breakfast. And he dropped the jacket. So he'd work to get to his jacket when it was breakfast time. And then he'd move it down the line. He said, when you get to here, we get lunch. And he dropped the jacket. I said, when you get to here, we're done for the day. And so he kind of chopped it up for us a little bit, but uh, uh, it's not uh, it's not easy work, even for a young guy. Uh, your back, it, it looks like it's going to snap at any... Has anybody ever done that, Pictanian? They know what I'm talking about. I'm telling you. you, you, when, you, when, you when you're done, you kind of walk like this for a while, like a hunchback. But... Uh, but I also do remember, uh, along with all that hard work came fishing the Snake River. I haven't done that in a long, long time. And I, I love to fish. And I feel those catfish are good out of that river. You can say whatever you want, but I like catfish. Brother, they're ground feeder, they're bottom feeder, they're still good. <laughs> I like them filleted, I like them breaded, uh, fried. Uh, I just, I just like catfish. And so, uh, my dad and I would, would fish up and down the river, and more than the fish, more than the fishing, it just brought back memories of my father and I sitting down in a the log there on the edge of the river just talking life. Um, my father passed away in 2004, and, uh, but it was his joy to bring, bring us all out here and, and, and work. Uh, I remember they were so kind to us. We, we were in a, in a labor camp, and, is it Emmett or Emmett? How do you pronounce it? Emmett, Idaho? We were staying in a labor camp. The uh, Mormons used to come out and talk to us, and they just brought us food, and that's why we liked them. We didn't understand anything about uh, John Smith or Joseph Smith. Uh, uh, I thought he was the one married to Pocahontas or something like that. <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm not, I didn't understand anything about that. I, we did take all their food that they gave us. That was fun. But, but you know what I also remember, uh, as these different groups would come, there was a group of young ladies that always came with a young man. They were probably in their teens, late teens and early teens. But, uh, they were dressed so neat. I remember that. Even, I mean, it's a long time ago. Uh, just their dress and, and their skirts and, and, and their, their hair, their, they, they just shined in their face and they'd come out. They never gave us anything except uh, they taught us little songs, This Little Light of Mine, and, and they prayed with us. And uh, what they gave us probably better than the food that the Mormons gave us, because uh, I still remember their shining faces. And, and uh, after I got saved, I thought, 
you know, maybe somebody went out from one of our area churches. It made an impression on me. I told Dad after a group left, I said, Dad, what are they? I, I, they're, you know, I know they're, he says, they're, they're Protestant, but I think they're a different kind of Protestant, is what my dad said. And, uh, but, uh, I, I sure, I, this is, this is already has the start of a, of a good, good meeting for me. First, I got a real cheap flight. I mean, it was dark cheap. Get a little pressure off of you, huh? <laughs> dirt, dirt cheap. And, uh, I, I get here and, uh, my room is, is, I got a whole house to myself. Now, I'm not used to that, okay? Getting a whole room to my, two rooms. It's got everything in it, yeah. And I, I'm enjoying that. I, I, you know, I like to do a little exercise. I can jog around that place for a while, get a good workout. But I do have a question about that shower. <laughs> Now, I drive sitting down, I eat sitting down, but I've never showered sitting down. There's going to be more water on that floor than that tub, unless you don't give me a shower curtain or something. I, I appreciate technology. There's pipes and lights coming out of that thing. I'm a simple guy. I don't need, you know, entertainment. I just need a shower. And so, it, uh... Like I said, I don't, you know, I'm still rejoicing over indoor plumbing. You don't have to impress me. You don't have to impress me seriously. That was the. Uh, we'll have to talk, Brother Howard. Thank you. Amen. All right. You promise we'll talk about that. I, I walked in. I'm. I stared at for about ten minutes. Nah. Yeah, you have to sit down there. I'm not trying to, I just, I'm just telling you, it's, it's weird. Yeah. Do you shower there, brother? No? Why are you going to make me shower in it? <laughs> we got plenty of time to work that out, brother. And then that, that meal. Whoa, brother. That was delicious. I had steak. Shrimp, salmon, I mean, some of you probably had ramen noodles or something, that's you're looking at me like that. But that, I'm telling you, I just, if that's a start, I can't wait to see what tomorrow's going to be like. That's going to be wonderful. And then I start, you know, I'm thinking it's getting close to church time, and then they hand me the keys to a new car. Do I have to return that, brother, at the end of Revival? Because I sure like it. It's a nice car. Very nice. Thank you for that. I really enjoy it. Um, then I get here, and brother, where's Brother Langley? What, what a warm welcome he gave me. Thank you, brother. That means a lot when you walk up to a man that's nervous and tell him, I've been praying for you. That uh, just, wow, that really helped me. And uh, he said, Brother Dodd says you're real good. I said, I I said, I'm only as good as your prayers for me. That's about as good as I'm going to get. And uh, and I know you all are praying, but I think God wants to help us. We, My family and I just came back from Mexico. I preached the, gen, the general uh, uh, preacher's meeting down there. But I got to see so many wonderful miracles there that have been happening there, not since I've been there, but 
just how God is working with your brethren across the border. God is just doing wonderful things. So encouraging, so encouraging to see that. Hey, man. Well, we better make this spiritual somehow. Book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. I'm going to ask you to stand. Hey, man. Y'all aren't making me nervous. I feel very relaxed. That could be good. That could be bad. Amen. <clears throat> Jeremiah 29, verse 11 to 13. I love those first three words, for I know. For I know. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end. Then shall you call upon me. And you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me, when you shall search for me with all your heart. Verse 12. And you shall go and pray. I want to take those three words. Go and pray. Go and pray. There are two things I want to made me mainly get to you. One of the things that I I, I, I see sometimes is that we're all so, so alike across the border and here and everywhere. We all have people that we're praying for. Lost wayward children, maybe just a relative, a lost relative or somebody that has left the walk with God and, and left us with a huge burden in our hearts. And then maybe later on we could also talk about uh, why we need to pray about our own needs. Maybe you've tried and felt defeated. You try to walk in light and end up falling on your face. You promise God you're going to go on through and get sanctified or, or get a specific help from God and it's still not there. I want to tell you, go and pray. Go and pray. If we could just seek God with all of our hearts, in his bountiful mercy, he'll help us. Father, we come to you tonight. We're thrilled to know we serve a God that is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. You know every need under this roof. You know the burdens of our hearts. You know our own condition, spiritual condition, our trials, or just our need. You know it, Lord. Father, would you help us this tonight to start and to look without and look within and then to look up and to know that our God is so willing, so able to help us in our needs. That we just trust you, Lord. Trust you for all the miracles that you can do. We're asking you to help us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I am a product of prayer. Somebody made it their personal business to pray for me. 
when coming from a family, a very large family, and highly dysfunctional family, there's a family of ten. There's seven boys and three girls in our family. I remember Dad would, uh, when I was just a little lad, would would make his way to this country and come, and, and he'd work through the what's called what was called back then the Bracero program of the early 1940s. This is the way they used to do labor. They would companies would recruit across the border. They give you a health exam, a contract. You come, you do the work. And then they didn't pay you till you were on the other side of the border, and they gave you your money, and then you came back and did it again next year. That's a good plan. That's a good plan. And I remember Dad, uh, his dream was for one day to bring us all to this great country that he only visited from time to time. He would tell us of the freedoms, of the opportunities, of how kindly he was treated by his bosses and and just, he said, the sky's the limit in the north. They call it the north, the norte, the norte. The dream to come and, and to have and, and to strive for the things that we weren't able to strive in our, in our, in our situation in Mexico. But, uh, my dad was kind of a different person. I remember when we, we would come, uh, when we finally, he was able, we, we were able to come into this country and under, uh, Ronald Reagan in 1987, he, he offered the first amnesty, uh, to illegals. And, uh, back then illegals were not illegals like today. Back then illegals were families that wanted to work in the fields and wanted to earn a living and, uh, they didn't come here because they were fleeing from, uh, their own country or because they were addicted to drugs or looking to, to harm this country. It was very, very, very different. And so our president then decided that he would extend the other branch, and, and that's how we were able to gain residency here. But I remember that my dad was probably more patriotic than some Americans I know. He loved this country. He told us, we've come here, but we, it, all we're asking for is an opportunity. We didn't come here for handouts. I remember that by then, welfare was beginning to thrive, and I know that Theodore Roosevelt, when he implemented the welfare system, it was supposed to have been a hand out, a hand, out, a hand up, but not a way of life. And my dad saw this as a potential harm. He says, we didn't come here to be bums. We didn't come here to be supported by anybody. He came here to work. He had a very entrepreneurial spirit about him. He said, when we come to this country, don't work for anybody. Start your own jobs. Start your own businesses. Uh, buy the house. Chase the American dream. And and so with that just uh, always resounding in our ears, uh, that's how we grew up in, in this country when we came here. He said, respect the laws. Learn the language. Don't ask them to, to adapt to your language. We're there. there already is a Mexico. And so we grew up with that. I remember recently in my church, I had a, I, I, my son and I have a big, beautiful uh, American flag in, in the backyard of the church. And this man came to visit and he says, uh, he says, oh, that's, a, that's nice, but where's the Mexican flag? I said, in Mexico. <laughs> I love Mexico. But Mexico needs to stay in Mexico. <laughs> So my dad was kind of different. He was a different kind of person. What he didn't realize because of his lack of spiritual enlightenment, uh, 
he drew our attention into into uh, chasing the almighty dollar. And so I made it my personal goal. I said, I'm going to be a millionaire before I turn 30. And I, I was very serious on it. I was one of the first ones to graduate from high school. My older brothers dropped out and began to work, and, and they started thinking about how they were going to start their own companies on, and, and most of them are self-employed, and they do very, very well financially uh, in the state of California. Well, a couple of them are in Georgia, state of Georgia. But uh, uh, I remember that this was something, a very constant thing with me. How am I going to be rich? How can I become very, very wealthy? How can I be a millionaire by the time I'm 30? And so I graduated from high school, and uh, and I thought, well, I, I I hear you have to go to college. But we didn't have money to go to college. And I just thought, well, I don't I don't have rich parents. They could write me a check, or I didn't know that you could probably get a job and pay your way with grants or whatever. So. Uh, the easiest, uh, the thing that I thought, well, maybe I can join the military. They told me, use your GI Bill. And I, I, I've never used it, by the way. And uh, the recruiter said I, I would become a millionaire real quick with my GI Bill. And uh, there's another lie for you. And so I I, 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 I go in the Army, and, and, and maybe I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But uh, uh, I, I realized that I wasn't going to become a millionaire uh, working for the government unless I was stealing from somebody. And so I thought I, I need to find my way out. I signed a four-year contract, and uh, and so I did Desert Strong, Desert Shield, and uh, I was such a, such a patriot, I jumped out of airplanes. I got tricked into it. Did I say that at General Conference? I got tricked into jumping out of airplanes. Signing my contract, recruiter says, well, George, you want to make more money? Never ask a Mexican to make more money. The answer is C. Sign right here. I signed right there. I was signing. I'd never flown on an airplane. I signed to jump out of them. That's how smart this cat is. Anyways, I'm going to really build up your expectations here eventually. But so... So I get out and I'm thinking, okay, I, I, I got a job working at Montgomery Ward. Do you guys remember Montgomery Ward? You guys are old. Yeah. Well, I'm too, I, I worked there. I worked in Electric Avenue selling washers and, and all that other stuff. But I thought, this, this ain't going to work. I'm not going to be rich here. And so I got a job working at restaurants. Uh, I, I started as a manager at a restaurant, and, and then I, I was manager of the chain of 13 restaurants. And uh, so the drive was there, and the ethics were there, the discipline was there, the desire, everything was in place. And uh, I knew it was just a matter of time before I was going to strike it rich and, and do something. So as, as, uh, in, in my pursuit, uh, I, I, like I said, my father uh, told us these things, kind of indoctrinated us into the how, to get, how to become wealthy, but he forgot to tell us one thing. The, the dream we were chasing was like a soap bubble. That once you touched it, it turned into nothing. It was nothing. And so when I uh, began to uh, work at the restaurants, I got a job working for AT&T. AT&T, back when they used to be your long-distance carriers. Now, AT&T, they, they, they're the ones that laid out the fiber optics, and they own long-distance. So if you were making calls to Mexico, they were going to go through AT&T. 
Well, when the baby bell broke up and they started competing against each other, Monopoly broke up, all these other companies joined in. And so AT&T, after a while, said, we got to get our customers back. They were being switched without their permission. It's called slamming. Remember that? They slammed you. So AT&T wanted those customers back, and they hired me and a bunch of us to go out, knock on doors, and get all their customers back. Many Hispanics, that's what they wanted. That's called diversified marketing. With our training uh, program, and and uh, I thought, here it is. Here, here's the way I'm going to make some money. And and that I did. Uh, for every switch that I got, means I came to your house, knocked on your door, and switched you back to AT&T, I would get nine bucks. And then, so, from morning, seven, eight o'clock in the morning, I'd knock on the first door to nine o'clock at night, and sometimes I would have 50 to 75 switches in one day. Now, you do that times $9. I was nonstop. I would eat on my way from one door to another. I'm one of, I was one of those guys you slammed the door on when you saw him coming. That was me. But I was a man on a mission. No meant nothing to me. A door slam meant nothing to me. That, all that meant was, how are you going to avoid a door slam in the next house? And I was determined. So I began to work, and, and they hired more people, and all of a sudden I became a, I became a manager. And I had 10 people working under me. And I would make $1 out of every one switch that they did, plus a salary. I was making about $5,000 every two weeks. That was pretty good. Pretty, even better for a Mexican. <laughs> that wasn't picking onions anymore. <laughs> So I'm starting to get a taste of my goal. I'm saving. I'm working. And uh, the office building that we rented with uh, uh, for AT&T, there was a doctor, Dr. Cowan. Uh, he was a, 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 a counselor, uh, a therapist. And, and I remember that uh, he called me one day into the office and said, Hey, George, have you heard what's happening? They're deregulating public utilities in California which means that competition is opening up. And there's a company that's going to be looking for people to direct sales marketing like you're doing with AT&T, except you do with electricity. I said, really? He said, yeah, it's big. Once Governor Pete Wilson signs that bill, whoever jumps in first is going to make all the money. And I got a contact with this company called Eastern Pacific Energy. We can contract with them. You go knock on doors. You do businesses. Put 60 grand, and I'll put 60 grand. Let's get a company going. And I had the 60,000 saved up. So we put them together. I said goodbye to AT&T, and here I went out to make my first million. And uh, so what that would mean, if I, let's say I went to your house and your bill was $150 a month, if, I, if you signed up with me, you would get 10% off of your electricity guaranteed through aggregation, bulking they call it, and then... Um, Eighteen uh, Eastern Pacific Energy would give me two percent of that and face value of one month's electricity bill just for getting that contract. Now that's a residence. Can you imagine going to businesses? So we went all out. Contracts are drawn out. Uh, one of my biggest contracts was a cement grinding company on the desert near Bakersfield, California. The guy's electric bill was about twelve thousand dollars a month. And I invited him out to one of the country clubs there. I, was, I liked the golf. It took me about two years to be really bad at it. 
But I played golf because it was part of the business. And so I got that contract, and I got more and more. And so the, the faith value of this contract began to pile up. I was very close. We were very close to a million dollars in contracts. So we were happy. It was our first million. And uh, But one day, uh, my doctor friend calls me. Says, hey, have you, he says, have you read the paper? I said, no. He says, you want to meet for breakfast again? We're like, we always did. Sure. I'm sitting there, and he takes the newspaper and throws it in front of me. And it said, Governor P. Wilson refuses to sign bill. It's dead. No, no deregulation. I said, what does this mean? He says, it means we lost everything. I said, well, can't we sue? Said, no, no one told us to get into it. It was a good idea. Had he signed it, but he didn't sign it. He got lobbied, and we're done. I said, what do we do now? I said, we're almost broke. I mean, we're almost done with the money we invested. He said, don't worry. I, I have money and all. Well, I'll get you over, and then we'll start another business or whatever. I said, no, no. Let me tell you something that happened in my life. He sat down. I have a sister that became a Christian. And she just got back from Bible school, and they opened a church back in my little hometown, about 60 miles away. And she's been coming to see me every Friday, comes to see me. And ever since she started coming to my house, I'm very, I just, I'm very uneasy. I'm nervous. I can't sleep. I just, there's something going on. I, I can't tell you what it is. He said, well, what is it? I said, I don't know. They talk to me about God, they read the Bible, and, but I, you know, I, I, that's okay, but what grips me, it's the change that's happened in her life. See, I knew her. She was so bad. She was horrible. Seriously. When she told me she was going to elope with her boyfriend, who now they're married and have been pastoring for 27 years, uh, uh, Brother Francisco, his name was Kiki, we called him Kiki back then. Kiki's like, hey, I'm going to elope with your sister. I said, don't do it. We know her. Don't do it. <laughs> We're warning you. We know her. You know. You haven't seen her without the makeup and with the pretty face off. She's, she's, she says, no, I think we're going we're gonna to elope. I said, all right. I said, it's up to you, but I wouldn't do it. She's feisty. She's sharp. She's cutting. She's aggressive. I'm telling you, you're walking into a beehive is what you're doing. But did he listen? Everybody go, nah. Of course he didn't. And so I remember her being, uh, and so I, I, my mom couldn't control her. At 15 years old, if she did not have the latest Jordache pants that was out and the latest makeup and the latest color of hair, she wouldn't talk to my mom for weeks. They would beat her. I'm talking they would beat her, and they could not get her straightened out. But now, I hear that she's gotten religion. And see, before she's starting to see me, I'm hopping back and forth here, but I'm trying to give a perspective on this. When I came from the military, my mom says, I, we got something to tell you. Do you know your sister? Do you know she's, she's become a hallelujah? I said, she became a hallelujah. Oh, yeah. The bad ones, too. I said, what's so bad about it? Oh, 
Wait as a matter of fact, they live in Santa Cruz, and we lived in, in, in Lindsay, California. We're talking about a three-and-a-half-hour drive. matter of fact, we're going to take you, so you, you two are close. We want you to talk her out of it. I said, oh, of, of course I can do it. If anyone can do it, I can do it. That traitor of our faith, what faith? So you're going to go talk to her, and you're going to straighten her out, and, and you're going to uh, reason with her and get her out of it. They're, they're, they're bad, she said. Yeah, they're, they're kind of a cult. Oh, yeah, she said. We're afraid they're going to go off and commit suicide in some jungle or something. I said, that bad? Oh, it's bad. I'm not going to tell you more. You Wait till you see her. You're, gonna, you, you're not going to believe it. So I couldn't wait. So we drive out there three and a half hours, and I'm just, I don't know what I was picturing, you know. But we get there and get to their little apartment there in, 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 uh, in Santa Cruz, California, and uh, we greeted her husband. I said, where's my sister? She said, she's in the room, you know. Um, you'll want to talk to her for just a little bit, and then we get to leave because the other Christians, they're going to come. And so we want to get out of here before they show up. So let's get in. Let's go. Is it okay? So I go in there, and, and there she is. She just had a baby. And she's holding the baby, and I look over, and I could not believe it. I looked, I said, what happened to you? And I said, where's your makeup? And she just grinned. What happened to your hair? I hadn't seen the true color of your hair in years. Look at that. And why do you do a little bud-looking thing on the top? What is that? I just, I, I couldn't believe it. I, it was somebody different, totally different. And she said, I've made peace with God. That's all she said. I've made peace with God. And for my sister to make peace with anybody, <laughs> that caught my attention. I said, but do you have to look like that to make peace with God? Do you have to do that? And she said, oh, I wish you could feel what I feel in my heart. And the talk is like, wait a minute. That's, you would have me by the ear right now. You'd be standing up and screaming at me in my face right now if I had attacked you. Just calm. Just a smile. Just a peace. Something I've never, ever seen on her. And I said, uh, so what, uh, so what is this? She said, I met Jesus who has not only forgiven me of all my sins, but he's given me peace in my heart. And I said, but do you have to do that to become a Christian? And she said, I don't do this to become a Christian. I do it because I am. I do it because I am. I'm not trying to be one. She wasn't arguing. Just a peaceful talk. I came out of that room with so much conviction. It haunted me. I could not believe the transformation in her life. So fast forward, here I am in Bakersfield, about 60 miles away from uh, where they were later on pastor, and she's coming to my house. And then I'm watching how they get along with their husband. I remember seeing their fights. I was called out to some of their fights. They were newlyweds. They were ready to kill each other. She was a wasp. And the honey, the patience, that this 
just a total, total transformation. And it, it, every time she would leave out, it would haunt me. I would have strong arguments against religion. But I didn't have a single argument against that. It changed life. I could not argue that my sister's life had changed around from dark to night. Just from dark to day, just like that. And the peace and the patience. And then, so I told the doctor friend, I said, ever since they started visiting, there's something stirring in my heart. I don't know what it is. I can't tell you what it is. I'm starting to develop a distaste for the things that I used to like. And, uh, there's just something's going on. I'm, I'm not going to get into any business. I'm going to find out what this is. I, I'm going to start, I'm going to find out, I'm going to get to the bottom of this, why I'm feeling the way I am. So, brother, sometimes I would be up till 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, tossing, turning, turning left, turning right, looking out the window, see when the sun would come up. And, and just, my eyes were sink, being sunken. I mean, I was losing weight. I was miserable. And uh, I remember, I said, ah, I know what the problem is. Is every time they come to my house, I feel that way. I'm going to ask them. They're not welcome to come back to my house. And I'll get back to business. So one day I call her. It was exactly 3 in the morning. The phone rang. Not even a phone ring. And she picked it up. I wasn't expecting. I was going to leave a message for her. Um, not a very nice message. I rang. Ding. Hello? I said, Eva, are you awake? Yes, I am. I said, three in the morning? Mm-hmm. I said, what are you doing at three in the morning? She said, praying for you. Hear those words. She, like, it, it, it stabbed my heart. And I said, listen, that's what I'm calling you about. Ever since you started visiting me, I, I, I'm a total mess. I'm a wreck. Just leave me alone. Just want to tell you you're no longer welcome to come to my house. Um, I got business. I got goals. And every time since you started coming, I, I, I'm feeling things I've never felt before, and I don't want none of that. I, I'm going to be rich. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a millionaire. And ever since you come, things are tipping upside down. My business, ventures, everything is just nothing is working, and I want you to stay away from me. She said, I can't do that. She said, do you drink coffee? I said, some. She said, well, you might want to drink some because I don't stop praying for you till the sun comes up. And then it hit me. That's when I would actually get some rest when the sun would come up. I'm a restless night. That's when I would go to sleep when the sun would come up. She, we hung up. And then one day she calls me. It was a Saturday Saturday, uh, was it? No, it was a Friday. She called me. She says, hey, I thought I'd invite you to, to a meeting we're going to have. I said, a meeting? She said, yeah, we're going to Rancho Cucamonga, California. And we have, we have what's called a, a congresso. Where we get together and, and, we, and, and, and uh, all the churches from California and even Nevada come. And, and we just get together, mainly for young people, but we'd like for you to come. I said, sure, I'll come. I don't know why I said that. I try to be a man of my word, but that, I just said, yeah, I'd like to come. 
said, okay, grab a pen. I'm going to give you some direction. Now, let me tell you, I get lost everywhere. I have no sense of direction. I mean, if it weren't for GPS, I don't know where I'd be right now. I just, I'm telling you. So she's on the phone, and, and she's like, okay, you're going to get on this freeway, and you're going to go here, okay, and then exit here, okay, sure. I pretend like I was right. I was writing nothing. I didn't take a single note. I never even, didn't even have pencil near me. Okay, so you'll be there? Yeah, I'll be there. This was Friday. Saturday, it was tomorrow. The Saturday was supposed, I was supposed to have been there. So oh, she was excited. She, hey, honey, George is going to come to Congresso. He's like, yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, so Saturday morning I wake up, and I cannot tell you the overwhelming, overpowering desire in me to go to church. That was not of me. You know when we sing that song, He Came to Me? That's what that means, that you're not willing to go to Him, but He'll come to you. That's what that means. So we don't boast of, well, I came to God's life. He didn't call you, you wouldn't go anywhere. You'd still be lost in your sins. Had He not called you? Had He not come to you? And so, I get, I, you know, and, and here, even though I had that little business lapse, I was still what you would call a, not a high roller, but I had a brand new Lexus paid for. I lived in a two-story house with a soil born the palm trees. And, and I, you know, I still, I, the, the potential was there, you know. I had the $400 suits, the, the $200 Bostonian shoes. And, and uh, I mean, I still had it all together. So I hop on my car that day. And off I went. I don't know how. I turned here. I turned there. Every direction she gave me came back to me as clear as day, and I knew exactly where to go. Three hours in and out of Los Angeles traffic. Never took a single note. And all of a sudden, boom, I pull into the campground. That's where they're having their meeting. I pull in, and I recognize the cars, and I said, this is it. But what am I doing here? So I pull in, and I'm expecting a big church, a big fancy building. No, it looks like a big garage with windows on it. <laughs> Has anybody ever been there? Not you, Kamonga. Anybody ever been there? So I went up. I said, this is what I got invited to? Pride is such a horrible thing. I'm pulling my car. I'm like, why am I going to park Oh, beat up cars. Mexicans don't believe in insurance. She's going to park out here away from them. What if they get dust on my... And I look down and Ross and... My brand new shoes. I started kind of tiptoeing around, headed towards... I'm thinking, what am I doing? Twice I stopped and almost turned back. The voice kept saying, don't do it. You're a fool. Don't walk in. Stay out. Go back. Business is waiting. Millionaire before 30. And it was such a strong voice. I said, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to do what I came here to do. I'm going to find out what this is all about. And there was a war going on in my heart. Wanted to turn back. Wanted to go forward. Struggle. But I said, I'm, I'm just going to go. I'm here. I might as well just do it. And remember, I made my way. And I stand in front and I open that little door. And as I opened it, just a whiff of glory hit me. This 
sent chills down my spine. I'd never felt anything like that. I walk in, and I see, uh, the minute I walked in, somebody ran to my sister, your brother's here! She pops up, and she comes back, and, and I say, come on, they're about to start preaching, come here, come here, come on, sit down, sit down. And I look down, I was like, whoa, there's more of them. <laughs> These people got trapped at least a couple of centuries back. Not a drop of makeup, the little hairdo thing. And the skirts and the men were dressed. So this is weird. And so I, 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 you know, I, I came in and through the back, I remember, I made my way past the visitors and the backsliders and just kept walking my way up. And, I'm sorry, I just realized I said that. I was just thinking it, but it just came out. Sorry. That happens to me from time to time. And so I, I come and I sit down. I'm right about where this brother's at with, with a beautiful little girl, third pew, fourth pew back. I sit down. And uh, then the preacher got started. I'm so glad for radical holiness, straight preaching. I thought the man was going to skin me alive. He got after me. I mean, somebody gave him my number. And he talked about uh, how Satan is trapped is to lure you away from what God has for you. And how cleaving, how, how, how attractive it becomes, but at the end is nothing. And he began to talk about the rich man in hell. And he said, God loved this rich man. Loved him so much he gave him all the opportunities. But he decided, he said this, he said his problem is that he had, he had time for money, but he never made time for God. I said, that's me. And he began one after another. He says, when are you going to stop crying in the dark? Wiping your tears with your worthless money. And exactly some of the things. He said, You've, God's already helped you when you put that gun down. God has been good to you. It may not happen next time. When you were looking out that window holding that gun to your head. I had done that about two weeks before that. And I began, I said, I began to shake. I said, okay, God, if you're real, I want you to tell me right now what I need to do. Right now. Tell me what I need to do that I don't end up like that poor fellow. This man's talking about. I said, first of all, is that me? God said, yes. I said, what do I have to do? He said, repent. Run to the Savior and forsake your sin. You see, when people say, I just don't understand salvation. I don't understand how to be sanctified. You don't need to understand. You don't need to understand. You need to understand who you are and what God expects of you, and match up to that, like, that's what we need to know. And I knew I was a sinner. God convinced me I was a sinner on my way to hell. I did. I never read the Bible before. I had enough theology in that man to get saved and accept Jesus Christ as my Savior. I remember they stood us up, and I was holding on so tight to the back of that pew, I thought I was going to yank the little top, the little trim off of it. 
I said, if I let go, I'm going to land in hell. I said, Lord, don't let me do that. And I remember as I began to cry out to God, I was holding on to that, the, the pew, and I just began to cry out. I said, God, would you forgive me? Would you remove the guilt, remove the memory? Because it all came flashing at me, quick, real fast. And the more it flashed, the worse it got. And I just felt, I went into kind of like a dark place in my mind. I just felt so dirty, so disgusting, so filthy. About all the, all the facade of success, I was a failure, a miserable failure. I said, God, I don't want to live like that. Would you help me out? Would you give me a hand? I don't know what to do. I'm like a child. I said, son, just repent. Do you not know your sin has grieved me? I've loved you. I've walked with you. I've kept you for this moment. Will you let me down? I said, no, Lord. And right there and there. I, all of a sudden, just the weight came off. Poof. It was gone. Just that quick. Uh, a lady came to me and she said, uh, Sir, do, do, do you want to go to the altar? I said, What's the altar? I was happy. Is it bad? I said, What do you do? She goes, You pray to get. I said, She said, You pray to get saved. I said, I'm already forgiven, but if you want, I'll go pray. You want me to do that? I heard preachers say, you're not going to get saved in the pew. Lie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got saved in the pew. But I was praying. I wasn't a spectator. Let me even that out. And I came to the altar to thank God for having changed me. I got up. I did not know our, the way we, I didn't know our modus operandi of the Bible Church. This elderly lady came to me, and she said, Oh, praise the Lord. And I said, Oh, praise. Well, she was bigger. I said, well, and I, I grabbed her, and I, I mean, I spun her around almost twice. I didn't know anything. Don't blame me for it. I finally sat her down and said, Praise God, this is wonderful. Amen. I mean, there were shouting, people running the aisles, and I later on found out that's not what we do. But, you know, no one indoctrinated me, and I'm thankful for that. <laughs> and so, she made it her business to pray for me. Many times she told me she felt like giving up. He's so wrapped up in money and chasing dollar, he'll never wake up. But she said, every time she said, God would come back and said, do you remember what I did for you? Do you remember what you were like? And said, that would draw me right back to my knees. And said, you've got to do a miracle here, because that's what it's going to take. Her prayers, her pleading, her perseverance, haunted this man for a while until I came to know God. I remember that my dad um, 
one of the things that I that pulled me out of the army as well is my dad was an alcoholic. I grew up with an alcoholic dad. He wasn't a mean drunk. He only hurt himself. Never raised his voice, never abused anybody or mother, nothing. Just a quiet drunk and, and, and he only hurt himself. One day we're at my mom's, my brother and I, early in the morning. My dad would get up and he'd be drunk by nine in the morning. Sleep a little bit, sober up, work, whatever, and then be drunk again at night. He would get drunk twice in one day. Just couldn't. He was hooked. He was in chains. And one day as we were there, my dad, uh, he was in the bathroom. My brother and I were in the room talking about business, whatever. And we just hear a noise like somebody that's throwing up. And a large thump. We were running to the bathroom. And there was my dad in a pool of blood. Cirrhosis of the liver. His body finally gave out after all that abuse. I remember that uh, my brother would cry out and say, you know, Lord, take me. Don't take my dad. And we, it was very painful for us to see my dad go through that. And, uh, and so dad, uh, try, he tried to survive and he did for a while. But my father was a very a tricky, kind of a jokester type of person. And uh, uh, so he had a very strict diet as he was recovering from cirrhosis of the liver, which I don't think you can fully recover. You can only prolong your your time. But So he was in a very strict diet. And, and uh, so my mom was asleep, would get up and eat Mexican food, which was really bad for his medication, and he'd pass out. The ambulance would come over and over again, keeps doing things he's not supposed to. One day he was drunk. How'd you get drunk? One of my friends came over to see him and asked him to bring me a bottle, and he and he drank. The doctor said, "If you want your father, he needs to go in a home where he's watched, monitored, and 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 that's in a good diet. That's the only way he's, he's going to kill himself eventually." So we had to come to that awful conclusion. We met with the family. We decided if we wanted to keep dad, this is probably what we need to do. We had hired a nurse to look after him at home, but he fooled her to, he tricked her too. And uh, so <coughs> dad would, uh, we'd come see him after services and stuff and and uh, and uh, we'd, we'd talk to him about his soul. And we said, dad, I, I told dad, I said, uh, the doctors say that you don't, you don't have much to live. You, you, you're in a death sentence. And uh, I'd like for you to if you could pray to God, if you could, we pray with you, but I want to know if you're really praying or are you just listening? And he stopped and said, son, you see all these, and he had these saints, uh, pictures of saints framed everywhere, saint this, saint that, saint everything. He said, all my life, I've devoted my life, my trust in them. And I, I remember that. He would come home drunk, uh, staggering drunk, and do the sign of the cross, and he'd lay in his bed. That's as far as his faith would go. And I and I said, Dad, they're telling us that you don't you don't have much time to go. And uh, could I ask you to do something, Dad? I said, uh, I have this Bible here, and and this is the Word of God, and God does not lie; He doesn't hide anything from us either. But I've looked through this Bible, Dad, and I don't see any of those things here. They're not here. I think if they were poor, God would have told us. But he's not telling us. 
And I said, I don't, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I never was disrespectful to my father. I said, could we, could we pray just to Jesus and see what happened? Just him. For one night. Just, just talk to him. And so, for the first time I saw him in deep thought. And I told him, very soon you're going to be standing in front of God and you're going to give an account for your life. God is going to judge you, Dad. You're going to stand by yourself with your sin before God and you have to answer for them. They cannot answer for you. Matter of fact, you don't even know where they come from. They've been taught to you. So they've only exist kind of in your mind, Dad. Like the way you taught me. But when I read my Bible, I, don't, I just don't find them. But I do find Jesus. And I read verse after verse how he died for our sins. And, and everything. And he said, well, I, I'll do that. And so, the next morning, my, my mom called me and said, hey, we need to go down to the complex. No, something happened to dad. So I called the place. I said, what's wrong with my father? Is he okay? They said, no. I said, is he sick? They said, no. Just something happened and we don't know what to do. I said, okay, we'll be there. Grab my mom and off we went. I get there, the lady is waiting for us uh, at the entrance, and she's like, now hold on, hold on. He is not sick, he's not, but just let me tell you what's happening. Last night, he began to cry. And we, we are, he's uncontrolled crying. We don't know why. He's called every nurse here and called them into the room and apologized to them. And he called me and apologized to me for not being a good resident. And every. Anybody passes by, have I wronged you? Have I, have I done anything to you? Or the ones that he knew, hey, the one day I pulled your hair, or you're trying to help me, and that was mean, I want you to forgive me. So we don't know what to do. I said, I do. So we make our way to the hall, and it was this door. And I'll never forget that. I opened the door to the place slowly, and I look over, and there's Pops. He had to sleep on a mat because he would fall off the bed trying to go get food. And he fell off, so they put him on the floor, and he was safer there. I look over, and then there's Pop. His face is toward the wall. I said, Dad. And he turns around. And the man's face was shining. The pillow was drenched in tears. Tears are still trickling down.
went and knelt next to and I took Papa into my arms. And <laughs> I'm sorry. And uh, I said, Dad, he said, all you wore is a lost sheep. And the good pastor has found you. The good shepherd has found you. You're just a lost sheep. If he's forgiven you, don't beat yourself up. Because he began to say some things. I said, don't. He said, son, but I do need to talk to your mother alone. And here's my mom listening to all this and watching all this. And I stepped out. I closed the door. And I don't know, to today I don't know what my father said. I don't know specifics. But he started making restitutions. Do you know that that's one of the first indications that God really did something for you? Your ever-burning desire to straighten things out? He went churched. But something told him, you need to get it right with your wife. And I don't know, but I was in the hallway, and three times my mom would, would scream, How could you have done that? No, you did that! I don't know what my dad was confessing. But my mom later just she didn't tell me what it was, but she, all he kept saying is, If God's forgiven me, I need to ask you to forgive me. Can I tell you something? Today my mother's still not saved, even after that witness. And I remember I began to bring my daddy to church. Because that's what Christians do. They go to church. <laughs> and one day I would bring him and, and he'd have a walking stick. And he'd come into church. And people began to testify. And he'd swing that walking stick. He'd swing in a circle. My father was, yes, Salvador. Isn't this Salvador Savior? I can't believe that. Salvador. One day he's like, oh, yeah, Pastor, uh, my son and I were driving here to church. And we saw, I thought, I saw all these beautiful, beautiful buildings, these beautiful churches. And I thought, that's not fair. And here we are meeting in a living room of the pastor's house. But I want you all to know something, he said. I'm going to win the lottery. And we're going to build us a big old church. <laughs> Pastors, I got Salvador. We don't play the lottery. He goes, then how are we going to win? <laughs> when it was time for daddy to go uh, they told us it's, he's in his last days this was a while later so my brother flew in from Georgia and we all kind of came around and it was just going to be a matter of days or a day whatever so one morning we were all nearby they called us they said it's today his vitals are down. There's nothing we can do. He's probably going to go here in a couple of hours. So we're going to put him in a nice big room where y'all can come and say goodbye. We know how this happens. We're not doing anything else for him. So we get there. Uh, everybody's crowding. My father was a very, because he was so kind of funny and had so many real friends. I mean, it was crowded people everywhere. And uh, so when we get there, dad's there and, and the my sister and I, sister Ortiz and I got there. It was a little kind of late. There was already a bunch of people there. And so 
it was going to be hard to get to them. So we just said, you know what, let's let's just let everybody do their thing. We know my, where Dad's going anyway. So we went to the little garden of the place, had a little garden in the center of all the, the little building there. And we were just rejoicing, praising God. So, Lord, get 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 the party ready. Ones are coming home. Your, your word says that there's rejoicing. You're going to have a party over a good one that's about to cross over. A miracle of God's grace. Yeah. Well, we're out there, and somebody comes to you, hey, Dad wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to you, to both of you. Well, it turns out he had asked him, where, where, where are my, my, my son and my daughter? He said, well, we're all here. No. Uh, George and Eva, where are they at? I said, we'll get them. And so they came over. His hands were already turning white, no circulation. Just the last words he's going to say. And, and so when that happened, the, my mom had the priest with her, and the priest began to took out the rosary thing or the little beady-looking thing that they got. And he started doing something, and my dad, just a just a gentleman, said, sir, I, I don't mean to offend you in any way. I hope I don't, but I just don't need that. I don't need that. I want my children here. So they called us in and said, we're all here, Dad. And then he glances over and says, Ortiz and I, he goes like that. So we put our hands over his white hand already about to, about to go. And he says, uh, <laughs> he said, uh, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going. Uh, so uh, I'll wait for you all there. And he says, go and pray. He told them, that's where I got this. He said, go and pray. And that has been our mission to go and to pray. We have sisters, brothers that are unsaved, neighbors, you know. And not only that, but just our own needs. Pray. Don't give up. Pray. Try it again. Do it again. Pray. I've never forgotten his last words was go and pray. And he said, I'll see you over there. And right there, he, I remember he, he shook. Have you ever seen anybody die? Like right in front of you. Have you ever seen that? The way my dad died, it was first, he shook a little bit. His eyes came wide open like he saw something bigger than he. And then his eyes gradually closed and a big grin appeared on his face. The director said, it looks like he just saw something very nice. I said, oh, director, if you knew, if you knew what awaits every true Christian on the other side. That's why we live the way we do. That's why we fight the way we do. We strive the way we persevere the way we do. That's our goal. But nothing is obtainable if we don't go. And pray. Let's stand. Father, we want to be faithful to your instruction to go and to pray. Maybe there's a mother here, a father, that are worried about a son or a daughter that just seems like it's never going to happen. Is there anything heavier in a father's, mother's heart than that? Father, would you re-encourage us 
Revive the spirit of prayer in us. That we capture the vision one more time. That we believe you. That we take you at your word. And Father, also in this revival, I'm asking, is there somebody here that stopped praying? That just kind of gave up? Decided I'm just, I'm just going to waddle through this thing. I'm just going to endure it. But I stopped seeking. Stopped praying. Stopped believing. He said, go and pray. Would you let that be, Lord, the impulse of this revival? But the people of God believe you. Believe you. Trust you. Do you want to pray? I'm asking you if you'd like to come and pray. I'd like to pray. Maybe there's something in your heart you want to talk to the Lord about. Would you come now? He is the gentle shepherd. He'll hear you out. He'll help you out. You'll let him. Father, would you would you take heed to the weeping and the the seeking of your children? Would you grant us the need of our heart? Would you help us, Lord? We're here because we believe. We're here because you've called us, Lord. You've called us. But yet you've also promised to be with us. But everything you do for us is an answer to prayer. Would you help us to pray? Would you help us to pull down on heaven in this revival? Bring it down, make it real. Give us some miracles, Lord, here. Help us, Lord. It's so easy to become distracted. Lethargic, just distracted. Help us to keep our eyes on the goal. Help us to keep our eyes on the Savior. Father, help us to look up and to look within right now. We're asking for some deep determination of somebody. I need to be sanctified. I will be sanctified. I must be sanctified. I can be sanctified. I can be saved. I can believe. Would you make that a reality for us today, Lord? Would you help us? With eternity at hand, eternity is too long, Lord, to take a gamble. Heaven is too beautiful, and hell is too real, Lord. Teach us, Lord, to learn to walk in the presence of God. <laughs> To respect the movings of the Holy Spirit, who's here to save and is here to sanctify. We're asking, Lord, that in the next few days you'll point things to us. Help us to remove the dross, the sin that besetteth, that weighs us down into the world. 
and to rob us of heaven if we don't detach, if we don't break free, if we don't start believing again. We love you, Lord. Would you help us as we pray? Would you make, give us a determination in our hearts, Lord, to move forward with God, to get something from God in this revival?